Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Kaiju Carnage. I am your host, Cal the Kaiju Guy. So, what's up, everybody? i uh, got two things to say before I get started. One, I'm sorry that I didn't do a weekly Kaiju Havoc this past Wednesday. Um, there wasn't really anything to report. Like, I, I got home at a regular time and was like, okay, let's see what I'm going to talk about and all that. And there was, like, one or two things, but, I mean, like, if 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 stuff just, like, the reveal of a title for a movie or something or like that. And I'm just like, man, it's a, it was so, it was so little stuff. I'm like, man, this is going to be like a three minute episode. So I just simply decided to skip it and, uh, <clears throat> knew that you guys would be hearing from me today at the time of this recording. And, bef uh, before I jump into the movie and everything, I would like to say that I wish I knew that today was what it was before today because I would have released a different episode than what I've got. But today is the 25th anniversary of the release of the 1998 Godzilla film. So it turns 25 years old today and you guys know that I am a massive fan of that movie. I've been a diehard defender of that movie for a very, very, very long time. Now that all of that is out of the way, let's jump into the movie that I'm going to be talking about today. And I guess it's kind of appropriate that I'm talking about a movie with this kind of reputation on the anniversary of the 1998 Godzilla, because in that regard, they pretty much uh, share something in common. And I'm talking about the 2002 film Reign of Fire. I have been a fan of this film since it first released, and I can't remember, I, th I think I remember that Kid Kong had said that he was going to be covering this film on his podcast, and maybe he did, and maybe I was part of it, but I can't remember, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, we, we've done a lot of, uh, we've done a lot of podcast episodes, and so like, it, sometimes it gets to be a little difficult to remember what we've done what he's done solo, what I've done together with him, and all that stuff. But how this movie came about for me was, and I think I've talked about this before, uh, it was about, the, it was the time that we, you know, my mom and my dad were now both working, we could afford uh, bigger and better things, and so we had DirecTV, and I don't know if they still do it, but back in the day on Stars, like it was part of like the Stars package, and it came in with like, you know, three Stars channels, like Encore, um, like the Action Channel, Western Channel, you know, things like that. And they had something on the three Stars channels that was called, I think it was called the Saturday Night Premiere, in which like just whatever big movie. You know, whenever it was going to be after it's done its theatrical run and it was available on home media for a few weeks and all that kind of stuff, stars would get the broadcasting rights to the film and they would air them on Saturdays. And something, you know, sometimes it would only air for like maybe two or three weeks and then they would stop airing it and then other channels were allowed to air it and all of that kind of stuff. But stars would be able to pull off like the premiere of the broadcast for certain movies and all of that. And I think it was called the Saturday night premiere, but, um, 
so one weekend I saw, you know, they would do ads for the for the premiere and everything. And one one day I saw that a particular Saturday night premiere was going to be Rain of Fire, which was a film that I wanted to see. But keep in mind, this was the time, you know, we were doing a little bit better financially and we could have, um, you know, direct TV and all of that. But as far as going to see movies in theaters and all that kind of stuff, my mom and my dad was still very much of like, you know, theaters are too expensive. We're not going, it's not worth it and all that kind of stuff. You end up paying way more than, you know, for snacks and the tickets are expensive, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so it was still very rare for us to actually go to a movie theater. And I had wanted to see this movie. I could not wait to see the movie. And then finally, Stars was getting it on the Saturday night premiere. And so, you know, I went to school <clears throat> uh, Friday. My friends were asking me, like, what do you got going on this weekend and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, man, I'm watching Rain of Fire. Like, I could not wait. I was pumped. I was excited and all that stuff. And Saturday rolled around. I watched the movie. I loved the movie. I was a big fan of it. I still love it to this day. I just finished watching it uh, this morning. I started it last night, but uh, I finished it uh, this morning. And yeah, so that was Saturday. Uh, I watched it again like Sunday because it was it uh, re-aired uh, the next day. And then Monday rolls around and I go back to school. And I could not wait to talk to my friends and be like, man, did you guys watch Rain of Fire? It was so good and all that kind of stuff. And so Monday rolls around. It's before classes get started and all that stuff. And I come walking up, you know, and uh, first thing out of my mouth was like, huh? Rain of Fire, huh? And all that kind of stuff. And all, all of my friends were like, dude, that movie was so stupid. And I was like, what? And they, they were just bad-mouthing it and all that. And then there was other students there that I usually didn't really hang out with a whole lot. But they had also watched the movie, and nobody had anything positive to say about it. They thought it was bad. They thought it was dumb, stupid, terrible, this and that. Like, they just badmouthed the movie like there's no tomorrow. And so I was in defense mode, like, for, you know, the whole rest of the day, just trying to, like, man, like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Like, you know, that's a good movie and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I've been a diehard defender of that movie from day one. And, you know, it still holds up as far as I'm concerned. Uh, finally, like I told Emily a little bit about it because she came in yesterday while I was watching it. And she, uh, you know, we had leftovers last night and she made her little plate of food and came and sat down. And I was, it was pretty early on in the movie. It was, uh, if you've seen the film, it was during the time, very, very close to the beginning, like only 15 or 20 minutes into the film whenever uh, some of the survivors decide that they're going to go to the crop and start trying to pick some vegetables and stuff like that, uh, despite Christian Bale's character uh, trying to warn them not to go and all of that. And then a dragon shows up and kills some of them and burns the crop and all that kind of stuff. It was about that time. And so she sat down with her food and she was kind of watching it and all that. And I told her, as soon as this part's over, you know, we'll stop and we'll, uh, we were in the process of watching Mary Poppins Returns. And, uh, so we finished that last night and I'm not a Disney fan by any means. I'm really not, but, uh, I, I really enjoyed that movie. Like I've, I've always enjoyed the original Mary Poppins and, uh, watching Mary Poppins Returns. Uh, 
I enjoyed it way more than I thought I would, but that's besides the point. But, uh, so I was like, let me just finish this part. I'll turn this off and we can go back to Mary Poppins and all that. And so she said, okay. And so finished off that little scene and exited out. And whenever it's on my voodoo and whenever I exited out, there was a picture of Matthew McConaughey's character, uh, Van Zandt that was there. And so, you know, I kind of told Emily a little bit about the movie and told her, you know, the, the story about how all my friends didn't like it. And I really liked it. And all that kind of stuff, and while the movie was on, like, you know, Gerard Butler is in it, one of his earlier films before he became, like, a big-name star and all that, and uh, I told her, I said, that's Gerard Butler, and she's like, oh, wow, he looks young, you know, and I was like, oh, yeah, and, um, you know, I pointed out Christian Bale to her and all that, and then whenever I exited out, there's a picture of Matthew McConaughey on there that uh, he plays the character of Van Zandt, and... I told her, I said, and that's Matthew McConaughey. And she stared at the picture for a minute and she kind of made a face and she said, that looks nothing like Matthew McConaughey. And I said, no, I said, it really doesn't. I said, it's, this was a very unique role for him. It's personally my favorite role that I've ever, of all the movies I've seen him in, this is the one that whenever I think of like Matthew McConaughey, this is the uh, film role that I think of most often for him it's my favorite one he's ever done and so yeah you know i exited out and um you know we started watching mary poppins returns and we finished it and then this morning i woke up at a whopping 5 30 a.m even though we didn't go to bed until about midnight and you know turned on the movie and was like watching the movie while i'm taking my notes and all that kind of stuff and yeah uh, I figured what, what my intention was going to be was I finished my notes and to do what I've done a few times. And as I'm doing the podcast episode, I'm watching the rest of the film on mute. But I was enjoying it so much. I was like, I don't want to, you know, record and watch it on mute at the same time. So I just went on ahead and finished it. And so, yeah, uh, that that's pretty much how, how it's gone with Rain of Fire for this weekend. Um, don't have a whole terrible lot to talk about, like a lot of the production and stuff like that. Um, it's not a whole lot of information out there on it. I did read an interview or two uh, with like some of the producers and the director of the film and all that kind of stuff. So I do have some information to share, just not a whole, whole, whole lot. So first of all, the director of the film was Rob Bowman. Now, this individual has done a lot of stuff as far as like producing as well as directing and a few writing credits and stuff like that. But the only, like, he's done a lot of that for television. The only four movies he's ever directed was Airborne, The X-Files, this film, Reign of Fire, and then Elektra, which was the spinoff of the Daredevil film starring Ben Affleck. <clears throat> and it stars Christian Bale. This was uh, before he became, like, a really big household name by being uh cast as batman in batman begins it stars gerard butler uh i already mentioned that earlier this was before he became a big name actor before he you know starred in 300 and all that stuff then of course you have matthew mcconaughey which i really don't need to list his his credits he's he's a very well-known actor um you know there's not a whole lot that people I, I don't reckon there'd be a whole lot of people that if I mentioned Matthew McConaughey, they, they wouldn't know who I'm talking about, you know? 
And then, of course, and uh, forgive me if I butcher this uh, this last name, stars Isabella Skorupko. Skorupko? We'll go with that. Um, yeah. And so those are the main actors in the film. Now, as far as, like, getting the film greenlit and all that, the original screenplay was written for this movie in 1996. And it was greenlit, and, you know, they handed it off to certain producers and all that kind of stuff for, uh, you know, <clears throat> to see if it would be greenlit, if they were going to do it and all of that kind of stuff. And there was one major thing about the film that posed to kind of be a problem. Whenever you looked at the original screenplay, this had the potential to become a very, very expensive film. Like in the early 2000s, the director says whenever he first read the script, like he was basically like, this is a $300 million budget for this film. To put that into perspective, like you have big films such as like Avengers Endgame and Avatar and stuff like that. That was around 250 to 280 million. And so that, and those are some of the most expensive films ever made. And so you're looking back in 2002 and this film was going to be like a $300 million movie. And so the director was like, we've got to tone some of this down. Like, and a lot of it was going to come from a lot of the special effects things dealing with dragons and all that, because back then it was harder to do the CGI than it is today. It costs more money because there were less technology. So there was a lot more work that got put into to make something look even somewhat realistic compared to today. It's a lot less expensive and a lot less work to do something. And the special effects today, like even in a lot of bad movies, blows good special effects movies in like the late 90s, early 2000s out of the water. Like that's just... That's just how it is. And so they had to tone things down. Some of the things that they ended up cutting from the film is that the irregular, uh, the Kentuckian, Kentucky Irregulars, which was basically the Americans, the whole squad that was led by Matthew McConaughey's character, you know, with the tanks and the chopper and all of that kind of stuff. Um, originally, they were going to be much more high tech. Like they were going to have rocket launchers. They were going to have weapons that had like the laser scopes and all that kind of stuff and everything. And so not only did they tone it down for budget purposes and all that kind of stuff, but the director also felt that like he needs, he wants to try and portray these guys as like very heroic and all that kind of like, you know, in medieval folklore as like dragon slayers. And so he said it would seem much more I don't know any other way to put it than to say it like this. It would seem much more manlier to give them like the bare minimum. Yes, they have tanks. Yes, they have a chopper. But when it comes to actually hunting and killing the dragon, they're very hands-on as like, you know, very one versus one kind of thing to where like they use, they jump out of a chopper and they use nets to ensnare the dragon and <clears throat> to, uh, you know, basically use hand-to-hand -hand combat stuff to put it down and all that. And so that's what they decided to go with. Before they ended up casting Christian Bale, 
before some of the casting, any of the casting really happened. Um, believe it or not, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone were both considered for this film. Like, it wasn't as deep as, you know, I don't think they actually reached out to the two actors and was like, hey, would you be interested in doing this? But it was brought up to the director, like, do you think we could possibly get Arnold or Sly to do this movie? And the director was like, nah, I don't, it's not that they wouldn't be a good fit. He was just kind of like, I just don't, I don't think we, we could, we could go for them. And so he decided not to. And his first pick for the main character was actually Christian Bale. And, um, according to an interview that I read, he actually met with Christian Bale in a cafe. And I can't remember if he had already sent him a copy of the script or if he brought a copy of the script to show it to Christian Bale there. But as they were looking at it, pretty much anybody who looked at this film was basically like, this is hokey. Like, there's no way this is going to be, you know, a big hit. Like, some, someone's actually greenlit this. Like, this is going to happen. It's not that they were sitting there, like, just bad-mouthing it. Like, oh, this is going to be an immediate failure. It was just one of those things of, like, you're basically talking about a modern medieval dragon slayer type movie. It's something that had not really been done before. And so they really didn't know how the audience was going to react to it. And whenever Christian Bale met with the director, he kind of held up the script at one point and was like, what are we going to do about this? He's like, there, there's a lot of problems in, in this, in this script and everything. And the director was like, I'm going to fix it, but you're my number one pick. I just, I want you to sign on. And so he ended up signing on. Now, as far as, uh, uh, I can't remember exactly how Gerard Butler, uh, I, from everything I read, it didn't really say how, like if, how they reached out to him or anything like that, but the director met Gerard Butler and they ended up forming like a bromance with each other. And so they got along very, very well on set and all that. Now, as far as Matthew McConaughey goes, whenever he caught wind of the film and all of that kind of stuff, he was so into it. He was so like, oh yeah. Like, I've got to do this movie. He basically was like, I will rearrange my schedule. I will do whatever I've got to do. I've got to be part of this movie. And he actually, like, at one point had stated to the director, according to an interview that I read, um, he had stated to, to the director, you are not allowed to make this movie without me. And so Matthew McConaughey ended up getting cast as Van Zandt, which is obviously the more well-known character from the film and also the fan favorite from the film. He's my favorite character from the film. And Matthew McConaughey decided that he was going to adopt a method acting style for the character. And for those of you that don't know what that means, that means that even whenever scenes are not happening, whenever the director yells cut and all of that, the actor stays in character. Like, he doesn't just stop acting. Like, the entire time production will be going on, they will basically pretend that they are that character at all times. Daniel Day-Lewis is very, very well known for method acting and all of that, and so that's uh, what uh, Matthew McConaughey decided to do. <clears throat> to the point that whenever there was a bunch of other actors there, and it was going to be the first day that Matthew McConaughey was going to be coming on set, 
like there was a bunch of other actors there and other staff members and stuff like that. And they had some people in makeup and everything. And they had a staff member come into the room that they were in. And he said, I have an announcement for everybody. And so everyone, you know, quietened down and looked at him like, what's up? And he basically said, um, Mr. McConaughey will be on set in 15 minutes. And I have been given orders to come and tell you, this comes straight from the producers, that none of you are allowed to call him Matthew, Matthew McConaughey, Mr. McConaughey, Matt, Mr. Matt, you know, and he went through a whole list of things and all that. You are not allowed <clears throat> to call him that. He is staying in character, and if you approach him at all, he is to be referred to as Van Zandt, which is the character's name that he portrayed. And basically was like, you got it? We good? Okay. And so then he left. And so, yeah, Matthew McConaughey pretty much stayed in character uh, th throughout uh, production, from what I saw. Now, as far as filming goes, the film was made in Ireland, specifically in the Wicklow Mountains. I believe that that's how it's uh, pronounced, and I'm sorry to my Irish listeners if, it's, uh, if that's not how it's pronounced. But they were given express permission to use that area under one condition. They could not cause, like, a lot of damage to the environment, and they essentially had to clean up every little thing that they did after the film was over. Because sometimes, whenever a film gets made and they make, like, these massive set pieces and all that kind of stuff, they'll just leave the set pieces there. It becomes a tourist attraction. And whatever little city or something like that, or whoever owns the land and all that kind of stuff, after the film you know, leaves and all that kind of stuff, it becomes a tourist attraction and they can be like, hey, you know, come check out the set of this movie that was made. Uh, it's a $5 entry or something like that. And they set up like little gift shops and stuff like that and everything. A lot of films do that. But Ireland was basically like, you're not doing that. We'll let you film the movie here, but you're going to clean up every single thing that you do after you're done. <clears throat> and so that's what they had to do. Now, a lot of the film is set in a castle. Um, you know, like just, just a, a castle. And even though there are plenty of castles around, in Ireland, they built the castle, like that the survivors live in and all of that in the film, they built that castle from scratch. That was 100% a set. That was not a real castle. And they made it look so convincing that tourists that would be coming to the area would, you know, they're sitting there, they're touring Ireland and they've got like their little tourist maps and all that stuff. They would come across the castle, the set piece that was built for the film. They would look on their map and basically be like, this isn't on the map. Well, let's go check that place out. Let's go look at that and everything. And so they would park their cars and start walking. They would just walk on set would have no idea that a movie was happening and all that kind of stuff. And so the crew's trying to shoot, hey, we're making a movie here. Like, get out of here. You know, <laughs> this is a fake castle. It's not real. So uh, that happened numerous times, according to certain um, uh, certain interviews that I saw and all that kind of stuff. And one other thing that ended up happening with um, with production of the film is that there was a very bad case of foot and mouth that broke out in Ireland, the first major case of it in about 40 years from what I read. And 
pretty much a lot of people were put on quarantine and was like, you know, if you have to go anywhere, just kind of really stay in more of the secluded areas and everything, don't gather around and all that kind of stuff. You know, we're, we're all used to quarantine life after uh, COVID hit in 2020. You know, I mean, there's still a little bit of it going on, but for the most part, we're kind of back to normal. And so they had to live kind of under those conditions uh, in Ireland around the time that this movie was being made. And as a result of that, there were other scenes that were going to be shot and everything, and they had to scrap them because of the quarantine rules and all that kind of stuff. And they're like, well, we just can't, we just can't do these scenes. So they just didn't do them. And so parts of the movie ended up not getting made because of this particular outbreak. Um, not sure if all of that information is 100% correct. Um, if you, if I got any of it incorrect, you can reach out to me anytime and all that kind of stuff and correct me. And I will cover that on a, another episode because unfortunately I couldn't find anything really official stating anything about like the quarantine and all of that kind of stuff. A lot of it was just simply, oh, well, this was on Wikipedia and this was on IMDb. And then there was an, an interview where somebody was like, oh, you know, like, yeah, there was an outbreak that happened and, you know, it kind of messed things up and all that, but they didn't really give a whole lot of specifics. And so I'm not sure if all the stuff about the outbreak I said is 100% accurate. There was an outbreak. But as far as some of the other information, I'm not entirely sure. And so the film comes out. Uh, critics weren't super, super, super fond of it um, to this day. It has like maybe like a high 40% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. On IMDb, as far as fans are concerned, it's in like the lower to mid like sixes, like 6.2 to like 6.5 or something like that. Um but it is, like, it has over the years really started to gain traction. And there are way more people that I run into now that whenever I mention Reign of Fire, they're like, oh, dude, I love that movie and all that. And I'm like, yeah, me too, you know, and all that. And we sit there and talk about it. It's absolutely a guilty pleasure film of mine. I know it's not the most awesome, like, blockbuster spectacle that some movies are and everything. But I don't care. And the CGI is a little a little hokey here and there, but doesn't matter to me. I really, really like it. Speaking of special effects, um, the special effects that they did for this movie ended up actually being groundbreaking at the time. And it helps with the legacy of this film because some of the things that they came up with for this film has endured on to certain media that's being made today. Namely the fire mechanics of the dragons talking, you know, before whenever they would make movies with like dragons and stuff like that, they would just kind of open up their mouth and fire would come out. But in this film, they really introduced the whole, that there's like a little small stream that comes out like a gland, like it's like a gland or something like that. And it comes out, it ignites and the fire goes, this was taken from inspiration of like vipers that can spit their venom and stuff like that. And they just simply made it to where, since it is a dragon, that it um, it lit on fire and all of that kind of stuff. And that has endured on ever since. Like, it really helped with the design of dragons in future installments, like dealing with dragons and stuff like that. Um, it's been openly talked about that this film inspired the design of dragons in, like, um, uh, the Harry Potter franchise the dragons in Game of Thrones, 
and all that. Like, you know, uh, one person said if it was not for Reign of Fire, there's no telling what dragons would look like today on screen. And I know I've just said dragons a whole, whole lot, and I've, I've talked to a bunch of people that are a little bit way too technical about this kind of thing. Technically, these are not dragons. They're wyverns. A wyvern, which is a subspecies of a dragon, is pretty much the type of flying beast, we'll say that, that has two hind legs, and instead of having arms, their wings pretty much also serve as their arms. They're able to crawl around and all of that kind of stuff. That is called a wyvern. A dragon is the more well-known, like it has four legs, and the wings are separate, like on its back, like any of you that's ever seen Dragonheart and all that. Draco would be considered an actual dragon because he has four legs and the wings are attached to his shoulders. Whereas a wyvern just has two hind legs and the wings also kind of serve as its arms. I'm usually not too technical about it. And there's some people out there that, you know, they get all wired up whenever you refer to a dragon. And they're like, it's actually a wyvern. You know, like, dude, calm down. It's all fantasy. It's not that big of a deal. But anywho, just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, one other thing to say about this movie is that it act, there was a video game adaptation of this uh, this film. I owned the game whenever I was a teenager. Uh, I actually still own the game. I still have it somewhere. But um, the game was really cool. I really, really enjoyed the game whenever I was younger. I have not played it since I was a teenager. But you were basically able to take on the role of either Survivors. And you would play. It was mostly like vehicle based and all of that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, you had to fight off the dragons, but then there was also a different part of the game where you actually took control of a dragon and you would have to fight the survivors and all of that. And there's a story mode. The story mode very heavily differs from the film. Like there's a few things in it that's kind of the same, but like mainly the final battle, there were more people there that were fighting the, uh, the dragons and all that kind of stuff. And then the bull ends up getting defeated, the bull dragon and all of that. Uh, there's actually an alternate ending when you play with the dragon side to where the dragons actually go and attack the castle that the survivors are all in and you kill all the survivors and basically you win the game as the dragons and the dragons essentially will become the dominant species on earth. And so, all right, guys, that's pretty much all I've got to say about Reign of Fire. So before I get any further, next Saturday, I'm going to be covering the final installment of the Godzilla anime trilogy, which is called Godzilla the Planet Eater, in which Godzilla Earth goes up against this anime version of King Ghidorah. Not my favorite version of King Ghidorah, but we'll talk about all of that next Saturday whenever I talk about this uh, this movie and all of that. Uh, I've, I've already started gathering up notes for things I'm going to talk about this Wednesday for the weekly Kaiju Havoc, so that's absolutely going to happen this Wednesday and all of that. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much what's going to happen. And one more thing, I'm very, very, very close to really nailing down doing the third episode a week and all of that. And like I said, the last time I brought it up, it's probably going to be an every other week kind of thing, probably every other Monday because I'm off work on every other Monday and it would be easier for me to be able to watch the film on my long weekend and to be able to cover it and all that stuff so you guys can look forward to that. So, alrighty guys, thank you all so much. I really, really enjoy this movie. Uh, if you've never seen it or anything like that, if you have Voodoo, it is currently on sale for $4.99. 
and so you can go check that out. Um, or, you know, you can just get online. Like I've seen it online, like on Amazon and eBay, just like Blu-ray copies of it on sale for as low as like $7, $8, something like that. It's been around for a good while. There's a lot of copies of it out there. It's not a rare film to get. It's very cheap to get and all of that kind of stuff. So if you've never seen the film, by all means, check it out and all that. And I hope you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So, alrighty, guys, um, check me out on all of my social medias on Facebook. I'm Kaiju Carnage, a Godzilla slash King Kong podcast. I have a Godzilla Ultima fan page, and on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, I am Cal the Kaiju Guy. As always, thank you guys so much for all the support, for all the messages that you guys constantly send me and asking me questions and all that kind of stuff. I'm really starting to gain more of a following on TikTok and YouTube. And so, you guys are awesome. You guys are the best and everything. And so, We'll see y'all <clears throat> Wednesday for the weekly Kaiju Havoc. And then we'll see y'all a week from today for the final installment of the Godzilla anime trilogy, Godzilla the Planet Eater. So, all right, guys, I love each and every one of you. Wouldn't be doing this without you. And we'll catch y'all next time. This is Cal the Kaiju Guy, signing out.